just a few minutes ago, Speaker Boehner announced that he will be resigning. Stuck in the middle with you. What a news day from Pacifica Radio's KPFK 90.7 FM in Los Angeles. This is your broadcast. As heard on 90.7 FM in LA, as well as 91.7 FM KYAQ on the beautiful Oregon Central Coast. 93 FM WLRI Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Coast to coast and around the globe on kpfk.org. Streaming on the Progressive Voices channel. Screaming on Netroots Radio. Indie Media Weekly. FYI Nation. Radio or not. Radio Free Brooklyn. Other fine affiliates in parts unknown. And Radio Sputnik. Five days a week. Keeping you informed with everything you need to know. On the most useful radio program ever devised by man or beast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow from bradblog.com here with you for another thrilling adventure. Although I don't even know. It's so thrilling, I don't even know what's going to happen. I don't even know what's going to come up. Frankly, there was a whole bunch of stuff. It's been such a a busy week over the past week. There was a whole bunch of stuff that I've been trying to get to that I haven't been able to get to that I was hoping to get to today. And then John Boehner has to go and ruin everything. So we will get to uh, we will get to as many things as we can with the uh, most need to know up front, including The resignation of U.S. House Speaker and uh, 25-year congressional uh, representative John Boehner, his resignation, his sudden resignation on Friday morning. We'll get to that shortly. First, uh, Pope Week continues. Uh, after his his uh, the Pope Francis's remarks at the White House on Friday, and then his uh, historic address it to the U.S. Congress on Thursday. Pope Francis on Friday morning issued a sweeping call to the United Nations for peace and environmental justice. He endorsed uh, the U.N. efforts to reach a global compact to fight poverty and climate change, and he chided world powers for putting political interests ahead of human suffering in the Middle East in his remarks before the General Assembly. Citing the relentless conflicts in Ukraine, Syria, South Sudan, and elsewhere, the pontiff said in direct reference to the quarreling among among the permanent members—what quarreling? Among the permanent members of the U.N. Security Council that, quote, real human beings take precedence over partisan interests, however legitimate the latter may be. Pope Francis went on to praise the recent nuclear agreement reached between Iran and uh, world powers, including the U.S., Russia, China, Great Britain, France, yeah, who would who I forget, the U.K., 
as, quote, proof of the potential of political goodwill and of law. The recent agreement reached on the uh, nuclear question in a sensitive region of Asia and the Middle East is proof of the potential of political goodwill and of law exercised with sincerity, patience and constancy. I express my hope that this agreement will be lasting and efficacious and bring forth the desired fruits with the cooperation of all the parties involved. That was Pope Francis's uh, UN translator speaking today at the uh, General Assembly, invoking the principle of international law, which, of course, we don't recognize here in the U.S., just kind of wanted to jump in and say that uh, that's not really true, but that's what Republicans love to say. Invoking the principle of international law and equality among nations. Oh, we don't endorse that here in the U.S. either. Francis endorsed the concept of right of the environment. Any harm done to the environment, he said, therefore, is harm done to humanity. He said uh, later repri- uh, reprising his argument that the global poor are the biggest victims of environmental destruction. Quote, a selfish and boundless thirst for power and material prosperity leads both to the misuse of available natural resources and to the exclusion of the weak and the disadvantaged. In effect, In effect, a selfish and boundless thirst for power and material prosperity leads both to the misuse of available natural resources and to the exclusion of the weak. The dramatic reality, this whole situation of exclusion and inequality with its evident effects, has led me, in union with the entire Christian people and many others, to take stock also of my grave responsibility in this regard. I am similarly confident that the Paris Conference on Climatic Change will secure fundamental and effective agreements. That, once again, was the Pope speaking at the U.N. on Friday and uh, and referencing the uh, agreement coming up in Paris. Well, hopefully the agreement coming up in Paris uh, where the world will be meeting to discuss climate emissions and what we are all prepared to do about it. Desi Doyen, our producer, how are you, Des? I'm good. Were you uh, satisfied? I know you were very much looking forward to Pope Francis coming to the U.S., to his remarks uh, before the Congress and so forth. Uh, are you satisfied? Did the Pope, uh, I know you're not uh, too pooped to Pope at this <laughs> point, but are you satisfied with uh, with his remarks uh, here in the U.S.? I'm much more satisfied with the uh, forcefulness of the remarks that he made before the United Nations General Assembly. Not so much with the remarks that he made in front of Congress, which were fairly mild and uh, very non-offensive. You know, the idea that he brought up dialogue so much in the congressional remarks. Instead, now, for the United Nations, he, he forcefully said, we need to do something about this. And I thought it was remarkable that he said he was considering his own responsibility in this and called on the uh, officials of the U.N. and the governments assembled there to to consider their own responsibility in this and make that effective, fundamental agreement, as he called it, in Paris. I mean, they're meeting in Paris in December. 
whatever comes out of that meeting is what's going to determine the direction of whether or not we're going to be able to uh, keep at least get on a path of reducing our emissions. At least try. And I mean, because what they are trying for uh, many uh, scientists that that I've talked to that we've had on this show say, you know what, even if they do everything that they're planning to do, that they're hoping to do this December in Paris, it still ain't going to be enough. Oh, definitely not. But it's supposed to be setting us on a path to get us started on that by 2020, and then from there we'll have to continue to craft further agreements. The Pope was speaking at the U.N. just before a special summit to adopt the Sustainable Development Goals put together by the U.N., a broad range of development objectives that echo many of the Pope's own priorities, including uplifting the poor, saving the Earth's forests and seas, and combating climate change. Uh, Speaking of combating climate change and other related issues... Uh, China, uh, China's president, Xi Jinping, met with uh, President Obama at the White House on Friday. The two announced that they had reached a, quote, common understanding on curbing economic cyber espionage. Uh, But President Obama threatened to impose U.S. sanctions on Chinese hackers who persist with cyber crimes The two leaders also unveiled a deal to build on a landmark emissions agreement struck last year, outlining new steps that will take uh, that they will take to deliver on pledges that they made at that point to slash their greenhouse gas emissions. We'll get to uh, we'll get to that in more detail a little bit later on before our green news report, because uh, this is actually pretty big. There's a, a big deal that China ended up announcing But what's interesting, you know, they have been building on this deal. They have been talking about this deal. China has been taking action. The U.S. has been taking action. China has been taking a huge amount of action to curb their carbon emissions. And yet, over the past couple of weeks, as the Republicans have been having their debate, it's amazing to me that they're able to do this. They have been going on and on about how... Uh, we, we, why should we do anything? China is a, you know, a much bigger emitter and they're not going to do nearly enough. They're not doing anything to, to curb their emissions. That is completely and entirely untrue. That is completely a lie. China is taking extraordinary measures to curb their emissions. And it, it, it's, uh, amazing to me, Desi Doyen, that Republicans are able to get away with making the claims that they've been made. And we're talking about, you know, leaders, front runners in the uh, Republican nomination. Uh, Donald Trump, Carly Fiorina, Marco Rubio. So not just the crazy ones like Trump, but theoretically the legitimate ones, you know, Fiorina and Trump and, and Jeb Bush and so forth. How do they get away with it? Are you saying that you're shocked? Kind shocked of. That, yeah, actually, that a GOP leader would, would say something that's demonstrably false? I'm not shocked that they would say that. I'm shocked that uh, they would say it so long, so many months after, you know, these these huge agreements that uh, the U.S. and China have been making on this very thing and that the media doesn't bother to uh, correct them when they say it, that they're allowed to simply get away with this. We see this example time and time again. They are lying. That's why you need, of course, the broadcast, because. We are not influenced by uh, the uh, corporate powers that uh, would rather not talk about these things. So uh, thank you for listening and uh, and thank you for stopping by bradblog.com slash donate to those of you who are supporting our efforts to do exactly that. In any event, back to China. We'll, we'll return to the, uh, the environment in a bit. But uh, speaking after White House talks, 
uh, during uh, Chinese President Xi's first U.S. state visit. Obama homed in on the thorniest of disputes between the world's two biggest economies, according to uh, Reuters. That would be the growing U.S. complaints about Chinese hacking of government and corporate databases and the suspicion in Washington and Beijing and the suspicion in Washington that Beijing is sometimes behind it. Obama said he and Xi made significant progress on cybersecurity. But Reuters adds there were clear limits to the Friday's uh, to Friday's deal. A White House statement said that the two leaders agreed that neither government would knowingly support cyber theft of corporate secrets or business information. So this was agreement about, you know, let's not steal each other's uh, uh, corporate secrets, their businesses. But the agreement stopped short of a promise to refrain from what Reuters describes as traditional government-to-government cyber spying for intelligence purposes. <laughs> this is amazing. Wow. And remember, the, I have you know been hearing uh, the U.S. government complain about uh, China is doing this, China is doing that in, in all of their hacking, and, and Russia. They're saying the same thing about Russia. But we had documents from Edward Snowden, what, a year or two ago, detailing the U.S.'s own offensive Cyber efforts, their own efforts to uh, to hack uh, Chinese interests that we are doing. So, yeah, of course, they didn't want to agree to. Well, yeah, well, let's stay away from the from the government uh, uh, hacking, from the intelligence issues. Let's just worry about the corporations for now. So that's uh, sort of where that is. But that also means uh, that they stop short of doing anything about the massive hack of the federal U.S. federal government's personnel office earlier this year that compromised the data of more than 20 million people. U.S. officials claim that that was traced back to China, but they haven't said whether they believe the government was responsible. And I appreciate Reuters bringing out this point because I've heard this over and over again since this happened. Oh, China is hacking uh, our, our systems. China is doing this. China is doing that. Okay, well, maybe computers in China are doing that. But do we know if it is the Chinese government? Or do we know if it's uh, just, you know, Chinese hackers? Uh, I haven't seen any evidence that it actually includes the government of China. And apparently we don't have that evidence, or at least it has not been presented. President Xi reiterated China's denial of any government role in the uh, hacking of U.S. corporate secrets. He said the best way to address the problem was through bilateral cooperation and not to politicize this issue. Uh, the White House uh, said that the two leaders agreed to create a senior expert group to further discuss the cyber issues and a high-level group to talk about how to fight cybercrime that will meet by the end of 2015 and twice a year thereafter. So uh, some progress of a sort on that, some very cautious uh, progress. On Friday night, Obama was to host a lavish black-tie state dinner for President Xi where guests will dine on Maine lobster and Colorado lamb. Sounds delicious. Despite the ceremonial honors, the Chinese communist leader who came to Washington on the heels of Pope Francis received nothing like the wall-to-wall U.S. news coverage given to the popular Pope. So thought we'd give it at least some attention. Uh, speaking of attention, that sort of uh, sucked all of the oxygen out of the room on Friday. John Boehner. 
Uh, longtime Republican U.S. Speaker of the House suddenly decided to quit on Friday. And it's quite funny because after uh, the Pope was at the White House on Thursday and video came out of uh, the meetings that uh, the Pope had with uh, with Speaker Boehner, I posted on Twitter, and you can follow me on the, and you can and you should follow me on the Twitters at the Brad Blog. I posted this uh, video, this little six-second Vine video that repeated, showing the Pope out on the uh, what is called the uh, U.S. House Speaker's balcony, the Speaker's balcony that overlooks the mall and the throngs of thousands of people who had gathered outside the Capitol as the Pope was speaking on Thursday. The Pope says, uh, Buenos dias, and immediately John Boehner melts, breaks into tears, can't control himself. Uh, And he was, you know, crying during uh, the the Pope's remarks. Now, uh, Speaker Boehner had invited, I think, the last last three Popes, including this one, uh, to come and speak at the House. This is the first time that a Pope has taken him up on the offer that any Pope has spoken before the U.S. Congress, but... He couldn't control himself. He couldn't stop himself from weeping, even when the Pope was just saying Buenos Dias. And I, so I ran that. I, I, I posted that video on Twitter, and I said, what the hell is wrong with this man? I'm serious. What the hell is wrong with this man? How, why can he not keep himself from crying uncontrollably? It's rather extraordinary. So I don't know. And he denies it had anything to do with it, uh, John Boehner does. But I don't know if he was, uh, you know, crying uncontrollably because he was looking at this as his last great moment in the spotlight before he was going to announce his resignation, his resignation that nobody else knew about other than John Boehner, who is now facing uh, a fight, a fight over his leadership, uh, a, a, a potential coup to remove him as speaker, which I don't think... Uh, actually would have happened because for years they've been talking about getting rid of him. The, the folks on the right, the, the so-called conservatives hate John Boehner. They think he's a liberal. He's an, an accommodationist to Democrats and and uh, President Obama. But you know what? Nobody really wants the job on the right. They really don't. They'd rather have him as a whipping boy, frankly, than have the job themselves. But there was the possibility of a fight over uh, over leadership and John Boehner, uh, well, here's how he explained in a news conference here. Here's how he explained why he was leaving on Friday morning. More than anything, my first job as speaker is to protect uh, the institution. A lot of you know that, uh, now know, uh, that uh, my plan was to step down at the end of last year. I decided uh, uh, in November of uh, 2010 that uh, when I was elected speaker, that uh, serving two terms would uh, have been plenty. And, uh, but in June of last year, when it became clear that the majority leader lost his election, uh, I frankly didn't believe it was right uh, for me to leave at the end of last year. Uh, so my goal was to leave at the end of this year. So I planned, uh, actually, on my birthday, November 17th, uh, to announce that I was leaving at the end of the year. Uh, But uh, it's become clear to me that uh, this prolonged leadership turmoil uh, would do uh, irreparable harm to the institution. Uh, So this morning, I informed my colleagues that uh, I would resign from the speakership and resign from Congress at the end of October. Uh, Just yesterday, we witnessed uh, the awesome sight of uh, Pope Francis addressing uh, 
uh, the greatest legislative body in the world. And I hope that uh, we will all uh, heed his call to live by the golden rule. Uh, but last night, last night I started to think about this. And uh, this morning I woke up and I said my prayers, as I always do. And I decided, you know, today's the day I'm going to do this. As simple as that. And apparently it was as simple as that. Uh, he hadn't really told anybody. He mentioned to his uh, one of his top aides that he was thinking about it. He was considering that uh, tomorrow would be the day. They are in the midst of this uh, budget battle to fund the government. The right-wingers in the party want to defund Planned Parenthood based on these phony videos that they think show uh, Planned Parenthood selling baby parts, as they like to describe it. And and they are ready. The Republicans, the right wing of the uh, of the Republicans, which at this point is most of the Republicans, are ready to shut down the entire government over this issue. That's what the next speaker is going to have to uh, to deal with, whoever that next speaker might be. But that's where they are. And um, Senator Harry Reid, the uh, the majority, I'm sorry, the minority leader, the Democratic minority leader in the Senate said, uh, put out a statement, said, I wasn't always happy with what Speaker Boehner told me, but he never, ever misled me. He never told me something that wasn't true. By ousting a good man like Speaker Boehner, someone who understood the art of compromise, the party of Eisenhower and Reagan is no more. Really, Senator Reid? He understood the art of compromise? I hadn't noticed. David Korn, uh, Washington bureau chief for Mother Jones, wrote an article headlined, John Boehner's legacy is that he doesn't really have one. He sent me a link uh, to that article via email, but he summed up the article this way. He said that uh, John Boehner's legacy uh, he, is, is not much. He both failed his own side. He both failed his own side by not stopping President Obama on health care reform and other measures conservatives despise. And he failed himself by not achieving any grand legislation that bears his mark. As speaker, he was more an attendant than a legislator or put it this way. He was a hostage, not a leader. So um, not great marks, at least from David Korn, and uh, certainly not from uh, the far right of the Republican Party. And again, I hate even saying the far right of the Republican Party. I should just say not great marks from the Republican Party. Here was Senator Marco Rubio, who's uh, now becoming one of the front runners running for uh, the 2016 nomination on the Republican side. He was speaking at the Values Voters Summit, another one of these right wing summits. And man, do they have a lot of them. The right way, the, the Values Voters Summit, the Families Summit, the uh, conservative political action. All they're ever doing is having conferences and summits. Uh, in any event, here was Marco Rubio, uh, who began his remarks to the crowd on Friday morning, who had no idea that uh, that John Boehner had just resigned. Here's how Republicans responded when Marco Rubio uh, said their own speaker had resigned. And we'll see how things progress. Just a few minutes ago, Speaker Boehner announced that he will be resigning. Yeah! This that is that is Republicans, Republicans cheering their own U.S. House Speaker stepping down. 
It goes on and on and on. Uh, anyway, he will be John Boehner will be out by the end of uh, by the end of October, and now the fight begins for who will replace him. And as I said, uh, there was not a lot of people who actually wanted the job. Right now, it's looking like, uh, I guess we can call him the front runner, would be uh, Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy took over when the previous Majority Leader, Eric Cantor of Virginia, congressman from Virginia, was run out by Republicans. Very conservative, by the way, Eric Cantor, but considered to be establishment simply because he's in a leadership role. Uh, he was run out in a Republican primary in 2014. You heard Speaker Boehner refer to that. He was said he was going to step down last year. Until Eric Cantor, the majority leader, was tossed out, and then Boehner thought he should stay. So uh, when Eric Cantor stepped down, he was replaced by the uh, current majority leader, Kevin McCarthy, from California. And uh, he right now is believed to be the front runner for uh, for the new U.S. House Speaker. I'll believe it when I see it, because if you dig down deep into the uh, bowels of right wing talk radio, you will find guys like Mark Levine, uh, who Sean Hannity calls the great one. Uh, Here is what he had to say about Kevin McCarthy last year. Again, one of his own when it came to uh, re- replacing Eric Kanner. Here was Mark Levine on, uh, on, on Kevin McCarthy back in June of 2014. His positions are identical to Cantor's and Boehner's. He's a moderate Republican. He's pro-amnesty. He was the Republican whip. Do you know what the Republican whip means? It means whip them in the line. Whip the votes in the line. He not only went along with Boehner and Cantor on all these issues, but he was the enforcer. So the Republicans in the House, they see the election results and they say, hey, we have an idea. Let's move McCarthy into Cantor's slot. He looks better and he's dumber. Exactly what we need. And that's what they're planning to do. And that is what they did. That was Mark Levine last year. I wonder how he's going to feel about Kevin McCarthy being elevated to the uh, Speaker of the House. I have a feeling there may be a long, dirty fight to come over this position. Uh, or maybe there won't, since we, you know, we thought there might be fights in the past. But uh, frankly, none of these so-called conservatives seemed to actually want the job. They seemed to prefer to simply have someone to blame. And they had Speaker John Boehner to blame. We'll see who they have to blame next. As uh, Sahil Kapoor points out over at Bloomberg, the next Speaker of the U.S. House will have to avert a government shutdown and debt default in his first few months. Buckle up, says Sahil Kapoor. Indeed, uh, buckle up. Buckle up for more broadcast straight ahead as we travel down to Florida to find out how the Republicans are keeping Democrats, specifically minorities, from being able to cast their vote now. It gets uglier and uglier here on the Bradcast, but I know that's why you listen. I'm Brad. Stay tuned. Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free Bradcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com 
with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com slash donate to help us out today. The House is rocking today. The U.S. House in any event. Uh, welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. We're going to move away from the U.S. House actually here and move down to uh, to Florida to a rather amazing situation going on down there. Well, I, again, one of these situations that's not amazing. But it's amazing that once again we have evidence of it uh, and uh, evidence of just how Florida Republicans... Remember this key state, key swing state of Florida, how Florida Republicans are trying to keep Democrats from being able to cast their votes. Specifically, in this case, African-Americans from being able to cast their votes. Florida, you know, has been for years, uh, you know, aside from being, of course, a a key swing state, uh, People have Democrats have accused Republicans in Florida very specifically of trying to keep African-Americans from being able to cast their vote in that state. We know that happened in 2000 when Jeb Bush's uh, exclusion list, uh, the people that uh, were, were not allowed to cast votes because they sounded tens of thousands of voters because they had uh, names that sounded like people who might maybe be felons, who maybe couldn't uh, cast their vote in the state of Florida. That was in 2000, back when Jeb Bush was the governor of Florida trying to help out his brother George get the White House. Now, of course, Jeb is hoping to get the White House. That was back in 2000. And since then, of course, uh, Democrats have turned to the state of Florida and uh, and the Republicans who run it and accuse them of uh, racist uh, electoral laws. And, of course, that is easier now than ever, thanks to the Supreme Court in 20, uh, 2013, 24. I've lost track of it whenever it was 2014, I guess, when they when they gutted. The Voting Rights Act. More on that in a moment, though. But uh, I want to for the moment, I want to go back to to 2012 and something that we reported at the Brad blog at the time concerning a 630 page deposition that was released uh, at the time from the former Republican Party chairman, Jim Greer, former Republican Party chair of Florida. And it described a a systematic effort by Republicans to suppress the black vote. So this, remember, this came out in 2012. It referred to a 2009 meeting with party officials as Greer was under a deposition talking about what had happened in a criminal case. Greer said, I was upset because the political consultants and staff were talking about voter suppression and keeping blacks from voting. He also said that party officials discussed, quote, how minority outreach programs were not fit for the Republican Party. We don't want to do any minority outreach in Florida. 
at the time that this came out, uh, Florida was embroiled in another controversy concerning another Republican Florida governor, Rick Scott, who was trying to purge voters back in uh, back in 2012. And it turned out that purge program would disproportionately would have had it moved forward, would have disproportionately affected voters of color because he came up with this list of hundreds of thousands of registered voters that Rick Scott was claiming were illegal uh, aliens were not allowed to vote, but somehow they were registered to vote. Hundreds of thousands of them. And you'll be shocked to learn that the supposedly ineligible voters were uh, were Hispanic. Fifty eight percent of them were Hispanic, while they only make up, in truth, 13 percent of Florida's eligible voters. But for some reason, there was a lot of Hispanics on there. And uh, Greer, Jim Greer, uh, cut ties with the GOP back in 2010, was facing uh, felony corruption charges at the time that he was giving that deposition. We were covering that purge of Rick Scott's at Bradblog.com. We found that of the uh, 182,000 registered voters that uh, Rick Scott had identified as potential non-citizens, there was maybe just nine of them. Maybe, maybe nine non-citizens out of 11.2 million registered voters in Florida uh, who were inappropriately registered to vote. And of those nine, as we found at the time at Bradblog.com, none had actually appeared to cast a vote in any election. So that's just some of Florida's history. And I could uh, go on and on, but you're welcome. I won't. Let's move up to uh, the present date, or a little uh, closer, at least, to the present date. In 2012, it was found, according to a recent study by Michael Herron and Daniel Smith, I think we've had both of them uh, on, this, uh, on this program, uh, but the, uh, they found that in the wake of Shelby, Counter ver- Shelby County versus Holder, that was the Supreme Court decision that struck down the key part of the Voting Rights Act, the part of the Voting Rights Act that required jurisdictions like uh, many of the counties in Florida to get permission from the federal government for any new election laws because those uh, jurisdictions had a history of Voter suppression. They had to get permission first before these new laws could be put in place. That was the part that was struck down, essentially, by the Supreme Court. That the Supreme Court, uh, you know, said, no, it's all right. There's another section. Section two of the Voting Rights Act that allows anyone to, uh, uh, you know, sue if there's a, a discriminatory law. But they're only allowed to sue in that case after they have been affected. After they have been discriminated against, after they have lost their right to vote, after they have been screwed by one of these uh, new election laws. All right. Put a pin in that. Because uh, Michael uh, Heron and Daniel Smith, they did a study and they looked at the uh, uh, tremendous what they described as a tremendous variance in closing times in Florida on Election Day in 2012. Precincts with a greater proportion of Hispanic voters closed disproportionately late. They said that this finding holds even controlling for the number of poll workers per precinct. Broadly speaking, they say that uh, that the reason they close late is due to p- voting place congestion in the 2012 general election, but only in those areas with a greater proportion of Hispanic voters. So uh, it appears that uh, this problem did not affect all Floridians equally. It uh, only affected these particular areas with a higher proportion of Hispanic voters. 
they suggest that this is a good reason to say that, yes, there are still race-based registration and turnout issues that need to be looked at. We can't wait until after the election. Well, now we have even further information along those lines. A white Florida Republican recently suggested knocking a black longtime Democratic congresswoman out of her seat by gerrymandering more prisoners into her district, according to audio that was obtained by Politico and published this week. Politico reports that uh, state rep Janet Adkins, Republican, made the suggestion regarding U.S. U.S. Congresswoman Corrine Brown's district in a closed-door meeting of the North Florida Republican Caucus. She first asked if all the reporters were out of the room. And you can hear this on the audio tape. We will play you some of this audio tape. She, she says, are there any reporters here? Are the reporters gone? Okay, good. Let me tell you what's really going on as we redraw these districts. Now, they have been ordered in the state of Florida to redraw the districts because they already found that there was racial disparities. In fact, the Florida Supreme Court ordered that uh, Congresswoman Corrine Brown's uh, district be redrawn because the way they had created these maps in the state of Florida, they packed all of the black voters into a very few districts rather than spreading them out. So that, uh, you know, this district would would uh, would elect a a black uh, representative. I was going to say a black Democrat, but a black representative and all of the others. We would keep all of the other districts for the white people. Well, they've been ordered uh, to redraw it because, frankly, there were too many African-Americans packed into Corrine Brown's district. So. The Republicans, of course, are looking at this as an opportunity, and they see an opportunity to redraw, redraw the district from west to east instead of north to south. Corrine Brown's district had been one of the regarded as one of the most gerrymandered in all of the country, uh, and it was done to uh, to pack that district. But now. Janet Adkins wants to explain how they can redraw the district in such a way that it will both lower uh, the the number of African-Americans in that district, but also lower the amount of African-American turnout in that district. How do they do it? By including prisons in this district, because prisoners are counted as part of the population. So it works for your numbers that way. But they are not allowed to vote. Here is Janet Adkins making sure that all the reporters are out of the room. This uh, You can hear the hopeful audio over at uh, Politico, but I tried to pull out the key part here. She asks, are the reporters gone? Okay, here's the inside baseball. And she explains the perfect storm of how they can redraw these districts in Florida that will pass muster, that will be allowed to uh, pass by the Florida Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court and the Voting Rights Act, and yet still keep black people from being able to cast their vote. So inside ballgame, um, you take a look at when you're drawing these minority access districts, one of the questions that's been asked is, what's the right percentage of minorities to put in a district? Is it 48%, is it 42%, 58 60%, what's the number? When you look at drawing that east-west corridor, what's the what's the primary industry in North Florida? Prison. Now Baker County, you got lots of prisons. Mm-hmm. Columbia County, you got prisons. Madison, Hamilton. All right. So 
Now you, you fit all these puzzle pieces together. And now you, the Supreme Court has required that we reduce and avoid packing minorities within congressional districts. So now we've gone from 60%, whatever it was, now to 45%, whatever the new number is. But we've reduced it, right? We do not take into consideration where those people live. It would not be constitutional to take into consideration where they live. But what we anticipate and what the Democrats were arguing on the House floor is we should be taking out people who live in prisons and we should not be including them and drawing them into the district. They're part of the population. Can they vote? No, no. they can't vote. No. So when you take a look at, and I don't know what the numbers are, but you take a look at how many minorities are in the prisons within that newly drawn proposed congressional five, how many of them live in the prisons, that's why Corey Brown is so against having an East-West, because her concern is that they live in prisons and they can't vote. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a perfect storm. It's a perfect storm. You're now, you're now reducing the percentage of minorities within that district, and you've drawn it in such a fashion that perhaps a majority, or maybe not a majority, but a number of them will live in the prisons, thereby not being able to vote. You can actually, Danny, you, So it's a perfect storm, says Florida uh, State Representative Janet Atkins. You draw the district in such a way, in such a fashion, so that perhaps a majority, she says, or maybe not a majority, but a number of them will live in prisons, thereby not being able to vote. That is completely illegal. That is completely in violation of the uh, of the Voting Rights Act, or at least it used to be. Now, in order to do anything about it, now you have to wait until you are affected, until you lose the election, until you lose your ability to vote, that you can that you can bring a case. The Supreme Court, the right wingers on the Supreme Court who gutted the Voting Rights Act, they think that is just fine. You can wait until later. You can use Section Two. That applies to all fifty states. Well, guess what? The folks in Florida know that. They know that damn well. And here they are talking on that tape. Here is, again, Janet Adkins talking about the fact that, hey, if Corrine Brown has a problem with this, that she's going to be districted out on purpose by these new maps, well, she can sue about it, but she can't sue about it until after she's already lost the election. I understand Corrine Brown's filed a lawsuit, and what I understand about that is that she can't really claim damages until after... She, there's an election and after she loses. And so I think her lawsuit, I think her lawsuit is on ice until, you know, I don't think anything's going to happen with her lawsuit until she's actually harmed. You see there? That's why you need Section 5. That's why gutting it. That's just one of the reasons why gutting it uh, is a direct assault on our democracy and the idea that Section 2, which allows you to sue in any state, but only after you've been harmed, why Section 2 is not nearly enough. Janet Adkins wrote in a statement um, quoted by, uh, let's see, the Florida Times Union, quote, I apologize if my statements offended anyone. Because congressional redistricting is a pending legal issue, I will not comment on this matter any further. You know what else is a pending legal issue? Uh, Janet Atkins's uh, uh, involvement in uh, voter suppression in the state of Florida and the joy with which she explains this perfect storm. 
of how to put a bunch of uh, prisons in there. And by the way, prisoners, felons uh, out of prison, they should be able to vote, but they can't in most states. And in Florida, they're worse than uh, most states. Millions of uh, former felons can't vote. But the, fa- the fact that people in prisons can't vote, the people who are probably most affected by who is in office, the fact that they can't vote... That's an absolute outrage. But that's currently that's currently the law in Florida and uh, never put it past the Republicans to take advantage of that and use it to their advantage by, well, let's put prisoners in that district. They'll count for the population, but they won't be able to vote. Racism no longer exists in this country. Really, Justice Roberts? Really? I'm Brad. This is the Bradcast. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Melting for Desi Doyen, who joins us here on uh, on the Bradcast. Hey, Des. Hey. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here in our few uh, closing minutes. Coming up, uh, our latest Green News report. But before we get to it, Des, I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, the AP, the Associated Press, has just adopted what they describe as a stronger way, a better way to, descri- to describe climate change uh, deniers. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is, uh, they are saying, we are adding a brief description of those who don't accept climate science or dispute the world is warming from man-made forces. Our guidance now, they say, is to use, quote, climate change doubters or those who reject mainstream climate science. So, Wait, I'm sorry. They're saying those who reject mainstream climate science as their yes. tripping-off-the-tongue way to describe people? Rather than calling them a denier, you call them either a doubter or one who rejects mainstream climate science. This to avoid uh, skeptics and deniers, uh, because, in fact, you know, scientists themselves are actually skeptics. They are skeptical uh, by nature. The actual meaning of the word being skeptical and also means that, you know, you examine other evidence and Mm -hmm. are persuadable by other evidence if the evidence proves the point. And yet those who uh, reject climate science uh, say that the phrase denier has a pejorative ring because and it does it goes back to the Holocaust Holocaust deniers uh, so the AP prefers climate change doubter or someone who rejects mainstream scientists now Ryan Grimm over at the Huffington Post he doesn't like that uh, he thinks doubters uh, is almost always simply false and he points to uh, to the story about Exxon that we're going to be covering next week out from uh, inside climate um, he says uh, that we just learned recently that Exxon is known for a scientific fact since at least 1982 the fossil fuels were driving catastrophic climate change Exxon scientists did not doubt this fact nor did uh, the executives who were read in on all of this and spent a fortune trying to deny. So they were denying, uh, but they weren't doubters. They knew. They knew they were lying. So he went out to uh, to Twitter to see if he could get some suggestions on some even better uh, possibilities. So I want to get your thoughts on these and before we get to the green news. Uh, so some folks on Twitter suggested Armageddon advocates. Oh, wow. What do <laughs> That's you think? a good one. I like that. All right. How about... Drought enthusiasts. <laughs> okay, drought enthusiasts. That that yeah, that's still not good enough. But okay. 
Canadian land speculators. Ooh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, climate it's all rightists. <laughs> uh, here's another one I like. Death cult members. That's, that's accurate. Uh, grandchildren haters. Even better. <laughs> you like? Uh, how about this? Slow cooking specialists. Ooh. Ouch. Ouchie. Uh, reality challenged and a variety of other phrases uh, that they came up with that uh, although he points out that those two would probably see, be seen as pejorative. All right. Last thing before we get to the Green News Report, uh, because this broke too late to get into our latest Green News Report. China announces cap and trade plan for uh, carbon emissions? Yes, it's going to in, to to take what is a regional, several regional cap and trade programs, which uh, are going to cut back on the emissions from industry and from transportation and other, the other uh, big emitters, and they're going to make that a national cap and trade program to start in 2017, basically beating the U.S. to doing that. We had legislation in 2010 to do the same, and it was voted down and killed off by Republicans and uh state Democrats. Is this big news that uh, China is, is doing? Will news. this have a big effect on carbon emissions? It will have a big effect if China goes through with what they've promised today. This is a follow-up with specifics rather than just a pledge. This has the specific steps in it. We'll have more of that in our next Green News Report. Not this one today. No, but here is our latest Green News Report. I'm convinced that we can make a difference. I'm sure. Pope Francis delivers morality and climate change at the White House and in historic address to Congress. Eleven House Republicans call for climate action. Fortune 500 companies pledge to go 100% renewable. Plus, it is imperative that we look at the Keystone Pipeline as what I believe it is. Better late than never, Hillary Clinton finally announces her position on the Keystone XL Pipeline. All of those positions and more straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. What the pontiff is asking is for all of us to change our position on carbon emissions, which is surprising because for years the church has had a clear emissionary position. This is your Green News Report. This is a bold step forward for my church, and as a Catholic I couldn't be prouder, except, of course, for all the things I'm ashamed of. Okay, Desi Doyen, this is a very big Green News Week, and not just because of the Pope, but also because of Hillary Clinton finally coming out with her position on Keystone XL. That said... When we make an error, we like to put the correction right up at front. That's right. A quick correction on the Volkswagen emissions scandal. We reported that the Environmental Protection Agency had ordered a recall of all Volkswagen diesel cars using secret software to violate U.S. emissions laws. The EPA has not yet ordered that recall, but is expected to do so. Since then, Volkswagen's CEO has now resigned, and the scandal has brought global scrutiny on auto emissions testing around the world. Thanks for that correction. What else do you have for us today? Oh, just a little visit from the Pope. Pope Francis has called on the United States to act on climate change, framing it as a moral responsibility, first here at a speech at the White House lawn. Climate change is a problem we can no longer be left to a future generation. We are living at a critical moment of history. We still have time to make 
the change needed. But in the first ever address by a pope to a joint session of Congress, Pope Francis didn't say the words climate change, but he did urge Congress to be courageous in climate action. I call for a courageous and responsible effort to redirect our steps and to avert the most serious effects of the environmental deterioration caused by human activity. I don't know if the Republicans in Congress are going to be able to be quite as responsible as the <laughs> pontiff is calling for. Yeah, it's uh, unlikely that the Pope's speech will change the mind of any Republican. But it is true, however, that many studies have shown that the public's interest in major issues actually increases the more officials and the media talk about it. So hopefully the Pope achieved that. The focus on the environment in the Pope's speeches before Congress and the United Nations General Assembly are intended to encourage all nations to sign on to an ambitious international U.N. treaty in Paris in December. It's supposed to set a timetable for all nations to cut the emissions that cause dangerous global warming. Some House Republicans are defying their party. Representative Chris Gibson of New York, along with 10 other House Republicans, has introduced a resolution in the House declaring that climate change is real and calling on Congress to drop the denial and focus on solutions. It's amazing that a resolution has to be passed to declare that climate change is real. What next? It is the sense of the Senate that water is wet? I mean, come on. In conjunction with the Pope's visit, nine massive Fortune 500 companies have pledged to get 100% of their electricity from renewable sources. Well, that's cool. Huge companies like Walmart, Starbucks, Nike, Johnson & Johnson, Procter & Gamble, they've all signed on to RE100. It's Renewable Energy 100. It's a program intended to show that big business supports a U.N. climate agreement. Walmart is going to get 100% of its energy from, from renewable sources? That's what they said. Not bad. Finally, the day that the Pope arrived in the U.S., 2016 Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton finally came out with her position on the controversial Keystone XL pipeline. She's against it. It is imperative that we look at the Keystone pipeline as what I believe it is, a distraction from the important work we have to do to combat climate change. Therefore, I oppose it. And I oppose it because I don't think... I don't think it's in the best interests of what we need to do to combat climate change. The next day, Clinton released a formal plan to modernize the nation's energy infrastructure from pipelines to railroads and to accelerate development of new clean energy infrastructure. Make of that timing what you will. And I will. Happy to hear about the infrastructure plan. It's kind of amazing that it took her this long to come out with a position on Keystone XL. I guess dropping in the polls like a stone might do that to you. For much more on all of our stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, thanks, Pope, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. And this has been your Green News Report. Yeah, it took uh, Hillary Clinton long enough to announce that position.
didn't it? It sure did. Uh, anyway, my thanks to you, Desi Doyen. Uh, great report, as ever. Thanks to you for your work here as producer as well. My thanks to Cynthia Cohn, our booking goddess. And my thanks to you for spending portion a portion of your day or night with us. It is greatly appreciated. If you have any thoughts on today's program, drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. I did plan on reading some uh, viewer mail today. Couldn't get to it. Thanks, uh, thanks, John Boehner. Also, uh, if you want to find us on the uh, Twitters, find me on the Twitters. I am the Brad Blog. Until we meet again, you can, as always, find me at bradblog.com, where you can download all of our programs for free. You can also do it over at iTunes. If you go over there, sign up for our free subscription and, uh, and leave us a good review while you're there. It makes it a little easier for other people to find it. Uh, that's it. We're out of here. Great. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. Good luck, world.